Well, at the end of August and the 1st of September, um, I had the great privilege to be at a very important event held at the University of Northampton. It was the Global Healthy Workplace Summit, which, of course, sounds very grand. And it was quite grand, actually, because this summit has uh, was in its 11th year and has been taking place in different countries over the years, including Italy, China, Brazil, Germany and the United States. And on this occasion, it was held at the University of Northampton. And um, regular listeners will remember me talking to my colleague, Tommy Hutchinson, before one of the founders of the Global Healthy Workplace. And two major themes we discussed were the four-day working week and, of course, working from home. But I was also um, very privileged to chair a panel on ESG accountability, ESG, environmental, social and governance accountability. How do we hold businesses to account in what they're doing? And um, one of my panel of three, you're going to hear from, from them all in turn. But um, first up is Amy Brown, who is the stewardship lead at CCLA Investment Management. And um, Amy talked very eloquently about a report that CCLA um, do. But before we come on to perhaps that report, and it, her work is focused on the wider issues of health, but uh, the report is on mental health, as we shall see. Um, Amy, firstly, welcome to the to, to the show. And also, just perhaps as part of your introduction, just tell us a little bit about um, your, your career and why these issues matter to you. Yes, Uh Thank you, Adrian. It's very nice to be here. Um, so I think the starting point would be that that my career um, started in in managing money, managing investments for charities mainly. Um, and over the years um, that I've been working in this area, the the emphasis has moved very much from what um, our charities should not be investing in, what they should be avoiding very much uh, with, with a much stronger emphasis these days on uh, the force for good that a charity can be through the weight of its assets. So uh, it's its role as a driver of positive change um, in the world. Um, and it's with CCLA that I've had the great privilege of leading a, a program, an initiative that assesses and ranks the largest listed companies in the world on their approach to workplace mental health. So your sort of trade is investment management. It happens to be for charities. Those are charities that have large funds to be invested, obviously working from, and from an endowment basis, yes? Yes. Because most, most charities are looking for money, not, not knowing where to, uh, to invest it. So the principles of what you're doing then, how to invest better, more ethically or more sustainably, they're not just limited to charities, churches, local authorities. They this this you know the principles of what we're going to talk about apply to any investment scenario. Yes, any investor, any investor has the power to bring about positive change in the world if you are you know using the right tools and and targeted in the right way. Okay, so you came to Northampton. Um, just tell us your general impressions of the two days, the the Global Healthy Workplace. Oh well, you you were I think with us for the main day of the conference? Um, I learned a lot. Um, as an investor, I, I felt like a little bit of an outsider, actually, frankly, at the um, at the event. But there were a lot of very inspiring, very interesting people and a lot of people that clearly had great enthusiasm and drive for this really important topic. So it was great to be involved. Um, and thank you very much for having me there. No, well, thank you for coming, because we also had Richard um, Caddis, Dr. Richard Caddis, who is the chief medical officer for the BT, British Telecoms Group, and Vincent 
Sigerink, who is um, working with the OECD, the Organization for Economic and Commercial Development, a very important international body. And uh, the panel we addressed was ESG accountability, which really comes down to reporting, measuring, monitoring, reporting on these issues. And of course, many of them are quite intangible, right? Businesses know that if they you know, invest a pound in a factory and they'll get so much back, but they're not so sure about perhaps the return on investment for looking after the well-being of their staff. Um, and I think you spoke quite you know uh, very well about the almost a challenge to business to take you know to be concerned about this and to measure but is it not very complicated and especially for perhaps smaller local businesses like we have in Northamptonshire Yes, I mean, it very much depends on the type of business and the sector within which a business works. Um, but I think it's very important to start with um, the sort of national statistics, national figures, um, and that, that can be applied to any business. Um, because, you know, one example is that Deloitte has done a lot of work um, on the cost of mental ill health in the workplace to employers. And um, in dollar terms, they they state in, that there is an average loss, an average cost of one thousand nine hundred US dollars per employee every year in the private sector. That is every employee, not only those who are suffering or struggling. Mm. Um, but so, so if you sort of extrapolate that out based on the number of people that you employ, if you are an employer, um, but if we look at some of the major listed businesses in the world, look at Amazon, for example, um, they employ about 1.5 million people. So the sort of average cost per employee times the number of people they employ counts to uh, amounts to an sort of estimated loss of $2.7 billion every year um, to mental ill health. And that is a combination of people turning up to work and um, being unproductive because they're not well, or people taking extended sick days um, leave of absence or people leaving leaving the workforce altogether because they are unable to cope. And then, of course, the company has to pay for um, costs associated with recruitment or temporary staff. Um, so it all amounts to a lot. And, and But actually, probably more excitingly and more importantly, creating a positive environment for mental health in the workplace costs a lot less than failing to do so. And Deloitte, again, finds an average return of $6.55 for every $1 invested in workplace mental health interventions. So the picture is positive. You know, if we get this right, there is money to be saved and money to be made. Well, those are very powerful figures. And, and I think more and more businesses should um, should be aware of them, right? Because, you know, what we see is a lot of short-termism, a lot of businesses are struggling, um, you know, they're all at the coalface crisis management very often and stopping and thinking about these things and developing the policies. Um, one of the comments I do remember from our panel was that, I think it was Richard said it from BT, that there are some basic simple frameworks, right, that can be adopted by any size of business, you know, the the, the basic principles. Is that something you would agree with? Yes. I mean, there, there is, you know, since the pandemic came along and uh, turned everyone's lives upside down, there's been a huge, rightfully, a huge emphasis placed on mental health because, of course, there was, there's been a huge um massive amounts of psychological heightened psychological distress um, uh, within the population and within workforces now 
as an employer, it can be very difficult to know where to start. And and we've seen from the research that we've done and the conversations that we've had with companies that there is a lot of money and time and effort going into mental health initiatives in the workplace. So things like um, wellness sessions or um, origami sets being sent home to people's houses to help them to relax. Um, initiatives uh, like uh, free fruit in the workplace, which are all lovely, of course. Um, but I but I think what is most important really is is getting the fundamental principles of good work in place. Um, and what I mean by that is, is um, you know, a, a very clear position on uh, fair pay and financial well-being, a clear position on board employee information consultation, on uh, flexible working, on career progression and job adjustment, on anti-bullying and non-harassment, and even on diversity, equity and inclusion. If a company does not get these fundamental principles of decent work or good work in place, then they have absolutely no chance of having a healthy or productive uh, workforce. And a successful business, because if you're, you know, how many terms have we heard uh, people are our greatest asset, but of course they appear as a cost in the P&L account rather than as, unless you're a footballer, rather than an asset on the balance sheet. So do do you think that, um, you know, British management is doing a good job here? And that kind of leads us very nicely into the report, the CCLA uh, report. So perhaps tell us a little bit about that and some of the key findings now in its second year, of course. Yes, of course. So, yeah, the, I mean, as you say, the, the the exciting thing about this year is that it. So, we having having done the sort of um, first year benchmark assessment last year in twenty twenty two. So, of course, that was the first year. So, it was a snapshot picture of of the hundred largest UK listed companies with more than ten thousand people. Um, so, we assessed those companies and we ranked them across five performance tiers. We then. Uh, this year reassessed those same companies again um, against almost identical assessment criteria. And what that allowed us to do was to track um, improvement in performance of those 100 companies. Now, the great thing was that actually there has been a significant improvement um, in performance. Uh, 24 of the 100 companies moved up at least one performance tier um, and 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 over half of them improved against our assessment criteria by five percent or more. Um, so that was a, a great outcome. But there are still some contradictions um, in the findings and some areas for improvement. So if I could give it a, a couple of, couple of examples. So for example, ninety three of the one hundred companies now recognise mental health as an important business issue which is a huge number. So they recognize this in their public disclosures, in their reporting. Mm. However, only 34%, um, sorry, 34% are yet to formalize their commitment into a mental health policy statement. So you have, you know, a huge number of companies saying that they they see mental health as an important business issue, but a, a large number still have not actually published a mental health policy. So there's an obvious sort of discrepancy there. Another example is that um, 57% of UK companies have committed, or so they say, to removing the stigma associated with mental health in the workplace. And that's quite a significant increase on last year. However, 
only 37% of chief executives of CEOs have actually issued a statement in support of good mental health in the workplace. And you know, you know, when it, when your leader, when your ultimate leader, the leader of a business comes out in support of workplace mental health, then it's much easier to remove that stigma and create an enabling environment for change. Mm. Um, so it is findings of, of this type that are sort of feeding our discussion with companies um, along the way. Very interesting. Now, your work is across the health in every sense, physical uh, health, but this report is focused on mental health. Let's just quickly recap. Top 100 companies, more or less, in the country, late greater than 10,000 employees. This is independent. You've taken the information for the assessment from publicly available information, and it does not involve the company's permission or the company submitting information. Is that correct? It um Exactly. So the, the assessments are done independently by a set of um, analysts. We do, however, share a preliminary assessment report with every company and invite them to add any comments um, where we may have misinterpreted information or missed information that they've published before the results are finalized and, and the rankings established. So, yes, we do the work, but then we, we offer we, we give companies the opportunity to to make any comments and, and then their score of course may be adjusted um uh, on the basis of their comments okay and it's not a league table as such you're just saying five tiers good to see the progress um is it a bit name and shame here or you know how and how have the companies responded are they jumping up and down or are they going oh my goodness me don't show us in division six or whatever it, i mean it is a bit of a league table but that's you know Intentionally so, <laughs> because um, it is amazing how responsive businesses are to positive peer pressure, like us all, I suppose. But what we really wanted to do at the outset of this project was to actually um, bring in an element of competition to an area that has been traditionally, frankly, hidden behind closed doors. Mm. So. We, we're bringing this out into the open and creating an element of competition and companies have been responsive to different degrees. So, you know, there are a handful of companies, typically the companies that are, that know this is important already and are already doing a lot of work on it. But they, you know, I can think of at least two companies who have said, ah, like the company in the, in the UK benchmark, Weir Group, improved by 45% against the assessment criteria between 2022 and 2023, which was an amazing achievement. And then I, uh, a global pharmaceutical company in our global benchmark, uh, we were on a call to them and they said, ah, they said, that is what we need to beat. They said, we want to, <laughs> we want <laughs> to achieve by more than 45% so that we can be the top improver for the global benchmark, um, which was very encouraging. But you mentioned, you know, naming and shaming. I mean, we... At the, when we first launched this benchmark, we had a lot of discussions about how to present the results. Because, of course, every company is scored against a set of assessment criteria and every company receives a percentage score. So we could have come out and published a league table one to 100, naming the top and right to the very bottom. But I think the uh, decision was made to, to split it into five performance tiers so that at the bottom there would be an element of safety in numbers. You know, we didn't want to discredit the benchmark and dissuade companies at the bottom from improving. Mm. Having said that, we do have the odd helpful journalist who, who chooses to pick 
a couple of names near the bottom and uh, write helpful headlines along the lines of JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley bottom rated in new mental health benchmark, which can um, prompt an immediate and quite heated um, response from these companies. But often <laughs> it can actually be extremely helpful because it um, it enables us to have that conversation. <laughs> no, I love it. That's really good peer pressure or, or societal pressure. And I think that's will drive uh, change. So two things then. Um, firstly, you mentioned the CEO, so I would and the leadership and the commitment of the leader. Uh, CEOs are usually seen as hard-nosed, you know, very driven, alpha male type things. Um, do they not suffer from mental uh, health issues at all? Yes, they do, and and quite, you know, understandably so. Um, and actually, almost without exception, the the leading companies in our benchmark, um, as in the ones that are ranked at the top have or have had in the past a chief executive who has directly suffered um, from mental ill health or who has had a, a suicide in close maybe family or friends and has been quite public about his or her own struggles with mm. mental ill health. And that can be a real sort of leading indicator. Also, interestingly, um, since you ask about CEOs, we, we performance tested the benchmark to see whether companies at the top um, also performed well on other areas. And what we found is that actually, even if you removed the points that a company scored for having a chief executive statement on mental health, if you scrape those points aside, companies that had a statement um, actually achieved 45% higher in the benchmark than companies that did not have that CEO statement. So it's it's very much a leading indicator in as much as if you have a chief executive who's championing this from the top, then the other areas tend to fall more easily into place. Mm, that's very interesting. What about um, your economic performance, though, uh, in terms of profits or turnover? Any Any links or correlations made there? There were some correlations. But I think, but probably not meaningful enough to disclose at the moment. Um, now, bearing in mind this is a small sample set in, in you know the grand scheme of things, and also that a lot of these companies have never been asked to disclose anything on mental health by investors before. Um, so some companies. When we speak to them, they say, oh, but we do a lot of this stuff. We just don't report on it. Mm. And so it will be a matter of time, I think perhaps two or three years before the disclosures of these companies fully reflect the work that's being undertaken on the ground. And at that point, we will performance test again. Okay, thank with you. The, uh, you know, with the caveat that there are a whole number of other influences on a company's share price. Of um, course. Yes, of course. And what about sectors? Can you give us any insights into sectors that do particularly well or sectors that perhaps need to uh, to put more attention on these issues? Um, yes. So there are only four of the sectors in. So there are 11 sectors covered in the UK benchmark, but only four of those sectors have enough companies, i.e. 10 or more, in order for us to bring out any um, trends. Mm. So. So, for example, so if we look at um, so the, the best performing sector in the UK is financials, in fact, um, HSBC being there at the top with Lloyd's, NatWest. Um, and um, 
and they have been very responsive to the engagement and very encouraged um, and helpful. Um, if we look at the, the the sort of least lowest performing area, that would be companies in the consumer discretionary um, sector. The problem is, you know, there are quite wide variances in the companies that score against the benchmark within sectors, mm -hmm. which of course influences the um, median or the average score, um, which can make mean sort of that 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 sectoral analysis is a little bit misleading. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm surprised to hear financials do so well, especially possibly uh, maybe the domestic clearing banking, commercial banking side compared to the investment banking side. JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, where you hear all these stories of people working and see television programs, right, about it working, you know, 24 hours, uh, seven days a week, a bit like the, the top lawyers. So there may well be a dichotomy there in the financials, depending on which part of the financial community, would you say? Yes. Um, and actually, the the interesting so that the tr sort of triggers for these and and I, I would separate european banks from american banks probably mm. but um but it's very interesting a that they are at least one bank has said to me that they get a lot of bad press as you you know as you mentioned on mental ill health in the workplace so they want to make sure that they have the right support mechanisms in place for their employees. They're also very keen to keep up with the competition. So I remember I had a call from um, NatWest, in fact, about a year ago, who said that, you know, they've, they've discussed, it was for their people team, a great team there, but they said it's a little bit awkward because because our chief executive has seen your report and noted that our main um, competitors in the UK, i.e. HSBC, Lloyd's, um uh Nat um uh, Lloyd's uh missing another one. Barclays. But, but they all Barclays, Barclays, thank you. They all score better than we do and they need to, we need to know what to do to improve. And so to their credit, you know, they took all our recommendations on board. We had at least one meeting with them and um they've implemented a lot of great changes um which has resulted in them moving up um this year. Um, so, if I look at the, yep. the, the the American banks have been a little bit more difficult to uh, get hold of, but actually we've had very positive calls with Goldman Sachs and with Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan have responded to the assessment for the first time this year. So we're getting there. This is tremendous, really, and this uh, investor pressure. So if all investors took the same um, posture or interest that you do. So we've talked a lot about the report. We better hear about how um, our listeners, if they're interested, can find out more about it. Where, where, where would you direct them in terms of the report? Amy? So the report is available on the CCLA website. Um, and if you want to contact me directly, I'm happy to send it to you. Um, my email address is amy, A-M-Y dot brown, with an E at the end, at ccla.co.uk. Um, you know, equally, if you represent a, a charity or a foundation, or if you work even for an investment management company or, or an institutional investor, then we, we do have a, a global investor coalition on workplace mental health that currently has the support of 58, uh, 48 signatories with uh, $9 trillion in supporting assets under management. And so the, if you know anybody who would want to join this group, join the investor statement, it is really the engine behind um, the, the mental health benchmark. And it's really the reason why it, it's, it's being so successful. So the more the merrier. <laughs> Indeed. No, absolutely. So that's amy.brown with an E, 
at um, ccla.co.uk. And therefore, I would imagine the report is available at ccla.co.uk. And if you go to resources or reports, I'm sure the uh, listeners can find it there. Is that correct? Yes. Indeed. Well, Amy, it's been, uh, again, a great pleasure to talk to you and hear about your work and um, really this uh, agent for change. I think society needs, um, you know, to change. Uh, we've got a lot of pressures here. I'm at this British Academy of Management conference, and it's all about sustainability and disruptive futures, etc. Uh, what you're doing, I think, is 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 remarkable. It's throwing a light uh, on a particular area, but such an important area, because really, you know, businesses, yes, we need them to make money, but we do need to create the environment for us all to shine, I think. And if we shine, surely the businesses are going to shine. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and talk about it. We've been talking to Amy Brown, stewardship stewardship lead at CCLA Investment Management, and about a fascinating report, CCLA um, Corporate Mental Health Benchmark. Amy, many thanks. Keep safe, keep well, and keep up the great work.